Father, we come before you this morning and we are thankful for this opportunity to be together uh, to consider a topic uh, that has been on my heart for some time. And it's really exciting to be able to come to a full room uh, that has uh, some level of interest themselves. Uh, in this topic, we pray that it would be a fruitful uh, day here today, but uh, not just today, Lord, over the next few weeks here as we think and consider and discuss uh, this topic. We pray that it would be uh, helpful that we would uh, certainly uh, defend your truth and understand your truth, but also, uh, Lord, that we would have grace and compassion and understanding for those that uh, may have a difference of opinion or, um, Lord, that they, they see things differently than we do. Lord, we pray that uh, today would be helpful and this, this class would be helpful for beginning uh, to think through those things and build a uh, grid uh, of which uh, to think through those things uh, as they come. Lord, we pray for your blessing and that it would be uh, a benefit to each of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as medical triage prior prioritizes patients being based on the severity of their conditions, theological triage helps us discern the significance of various theological beliefs and doctrines. And so some of you are like, okay, that sounds interesting when you maybe signed up for the class, but you're not real sure what am I here for? What are we talking about uh, in this class? Is it something highly technical? It's not. Uh, it's actually intended to be highly practical. Um, so in this class, we're seeking to explore how to distinguish between core doctrines that are essential to the Christian faith secondary matters that warrant differences of opinion, and even peripheral issues that may not impact the core tenets of Orthodox Christianity. And the goal is to equip you with the tools to engage in thoughtful and charitable discussion, navigating theological diversity, and prioritize your beliefs in a way that fosters unity and understanding within the church and broader Christian community. Uh, that is really our our sought-after goal here. If we can accomplish those things in the next five weeks, uh, we will have accomplished the goal. Um, so we're using triage as a metaphor to discuss how to discern between first order, second order, and even third and fourth order doctrines and beliefs. This is not to say, and you will probably hear me reiterate this many times over the next five weeks here, this is not to say that there are some matters that are not theologically important. That is not what we're saying. We are not saying, oh, these matters, just they're not really important. They don't, they don't matter. Uh, no, we're just saying that clearly in Scripture, and I'll seek to prove this over the course of the class, uh, there are some matters that are to be fought for, and there's other matters that we can have some understanding of differences uh, in them and understand that some people just have approached these different theological matters differently over the centuries. And if we knew where we were wrong, we would correct them, right? But uh, ultimately, until we're in glory, we don't know those areas. I was told by uh, my mentor, Ken Ramey, that was here about a year and a half ago, uh, speaking before I went to seminary, uh, he said, Jeremiah, just remember as you go through seminary and as you enter into ministry, 
that even the best theologian is only right 80% of the time. Just accept that humility. Like, understand that you have blind spots, that you have areas of your life and theology that aren't all perfectly figured out. If they were, of course, we would have the humility and hopefully uh, the desire to correct those areas of our theology. But just kind of take that dose of understanding that there is going to be areas in your theological understanding that aren't right. And whoever you may be conversing with, they have the same dynamic going on for them too. And so we want to approach each other and within the body of Christ, certainly here, but in the larger world of evangelicalism and Christianity with that kind of humility and grace as well. So I do want to state up front that I'm not teaching this class because I have mastered the ability to discern the exact way to distinguish between the different tiers of theological discourse. I'm not up here for that reason. There, Rich could be up here or someone else for that. I am not at that point, and he would probably say the same thing as well. But uh, my objective with this class is to introduce you to a method of developing a grid to prioritize and understand the significance of various theological doctrines and how this can give us clarity on these kind of conversations within relationships, in discussions, and even in defense of the faith. So my goal is not to give you an exhaustive list of primary, secondary, tertiary theological matters. We will not accomplish that in this class over the next five weeks. If, if you have that hope for me to do that, then I'm just gonna kind of bash that right up front and tell you that's not going to happen. What I'm trying to do is give you the grid how to think through those matters when you come to them. I am not going to be able to give you exhaustive list of these fit here, these fit here, and these fit here. Uh, that, that would probably actually not even serve you all that well because the reality is there will probably be discussion even within this class of, ah, I think that's actually a secondary. Well, I think that's a third, you know, tertiary issue. I, you know, and we may even have differences of which category they fit in. Uh, but my goal is just to, to begin giving you a little bit of understanding of how we can go about that. Um, so uh, where did this whole concept of theological triage come from? It's not my idea. Um, you know, modern triage grew out of the work of uh, French surgeons, Baron Larry and Baron Piercy during the uh, reign of Napoleon. Uh, Larry, in particular, introduced the concept of the flying ambulance. And at that time, this was just a rapidly moving coach that was helping people uh, that has now become the ambulance, right? Uh, it was at the beginning of World War I in 1914 that another surgeon, uh, DePage, developed the five-tiered triage system, which set specific benchmarks on evacuation. And by the onset of World War II, American and British forces had adopted uh, this triage concept with other global powers following and doing the same. And this system has now been adopted into hospital systems throughout the world and medical training and first responders and in certainly emergency room settings. Most simply, the general purpose of triage is to sort patients by level of acuity to inform 
care of decisions that they need to care for these patients. And so that the most uh, people possible can receive this medical care. And in all triage systems, patients are first assessed for their injury, then they are categorized based on the severity of those injuries. And so what does this have to do with theology, right? Well, while medical triage illustrates the importance of triage in situations of injury, a parallel can be drawn to the concept of theological triage in the realm of religious discourse. In both scenarios, the essence of triage is in prioritizing and addressing issues based on their level of significance. Now, I wanna be careful there. I use the word significance, not even importance. And you can read other people that have written on this topic and they will use the word, of in, word importance. I don't like that term uh, because I don't want to say any of the topics that we're talking about are unimportant, right? That they're not, uh, if they're in God's word, they're important. Uh, so I just don't like that word being used. But significance begins to help us a little bit more, I think. Uh, now, I say that and even the people that we'll talk about that have been uh, impactful and, and instrumental in developing this concept uh, are far smarter than I am and they use that term. And uh, if you read them, that you would see that and uh, maybe you're, you'd be okay with it. But uh, it's just as I've read through it and I've, I've, I've kind of dug around in it, importance is not a word that I think is uh, helpful. So in theological triage, as with medical counterparts, there are core doctrines that are akin to the critically wounded in battle. Fundamentally, beliefs that are central to the Christian faith. Such doctrines would include the deity of Christ, the resurrection, the trinity, the authority and inspiration of the scriptures. And just to give you an idea of what types of doctrines kind of would be within that category. And, and we'll talk in more length in future weeks about that and each of these categories, but just to kind of begin to give you an idea. So just as medics prioritize the evacuation of the gravely injured, theological triage emphasizes the utmost importance of preserving and understanding these foundational tenets within orthodoxy. So we wanna say, yes, there are central core beliefs to the Christian faith that cannot be uh, neglected, they cannot be denied. These are core central beliefs to Christianity. And, and those must be accepted in order to be within the realm of orthodoxy and Christianity, okay? Uh, but similarly, there are secondary theological issues, while also important, do not carry the same weight as those core doctrines. These can be analogous to the wounded with less severe injuries and need of time, uh, of, of timely but not immediate attention, right? So uh, doctrines such as uh, the modes of baptism or specific eschatological views may fall into this category where thoughtful discussion and diversity of opinion are indeed permissible. They would be okay. Uh, to have some of those kind of conversations and, and have some agreement to disagree in those areas. In both medical and theological triage, there's uh, also peripheral issues that while interesting and even noteworthy, 
They would not be areas that we would separate or have any level of division amongst Christians over. These might be compared to minor injuries or ailments that can wait for more opportune moments for discussion and to be addressed. Such issues might be a broader eschatological views or some of those nuanced little details within eschatology. Bible translations, various interpretations of non-primary issue passages of scripture. Uh, for example, uh, I had this one while I was out at Grace Church uh, in seminary, is uh, the whole issue of elder qualifications. Uh, there's different perspectives on uh, the qualification of children who believe, or the, the Greek term there is pistos, and the whole idea is uh, for some that an elder actually has to have all of his children who believe and have been born again. Uh, I really struggled with taking that position uh, while I was out there and uh, one of my Theo 4 exams and, and papers that I ended up writing, I took on that issue to see uh, if I could kind of come to that way of thinking. And the reality is I did all my work, I did all my uh, study of it, and I just could not for multiple reasons get to that point. And uh, I think that passage is more under, in understanding in line with uh, to keep your family under control. Um, and so there's this idea that uh, you have uh, a family that has, uh, and children that are obedient, generally speaking, uh, that they're not just living like, you know, hellions out in the world, uh, but that you generally have your family under control uh, and that goes back to one of the other qualifications of to one who manages household well. Uh, so that would be an example of one that I love those guys out at Grace. I was on staff with them, uh, loved uh, these guys and would have good, helpful conversations with them about this. But I was able to walk away and it really had no impact on the gospel, right? It, it had no uh, impact on uh, our uh, Ninety-nine percent of what we did in in ministry together, um, but um, but that was one of those those issues. Uh, and then I would say, fourthly, there's a fourth rank matter of beliefs and practice that we would consider preferences or personal convictions, such as music style, entertainment choices or the celebration of certain holidays, perhaps. Those kinds of things are maybe in even a fourth tier uh, that you should be able to easily love a brother or sister and have completely different opinions on uh, those types of uh, areas uh, of our uh, faith and practice. And so in, in essence, just as triage and battle ensures that critical resources are directed where they are needed most urgently, theological triage helps Christians navigate the diverse landscape of beliefs and practices, distinguishing between what is central to their faith and what allows for variation and discussion. Both concepts emphasize the efficient allocation of attention and resources, promoting unity 
and understanding within their respective context. And so uh, that is the objective, right? Uh, we've heard so much, even in the Gospel of John, of the importance of loving one another. By this, you will know their love for one another. You know, these, these things, uh, it's so important because it's these types of areas. And what's really shocking is that most often the areas of disagreement are in category three and four, not one and two. And, you know, we'll start getting all like in each other's grill about areas of, you know, musical preference or, you know, uh, those types of areas that just really don't matter. I, I, again, grew up in a world where Bible translations, which I would put, you know, typically in like that third category, uh, the KJV only uh, world, if you may be familiar with that, uh, I grew up with that, the King, King James Version only. And so that issue, they would never have seen that as a third tier issue. Certainly how uh, it was discussed, it was uh, probably, it was very close to probably a first tier issue. Uh, I mean, they would divide and there, there would be issues over uh, that kind of uh, issue within um, the churches I grew up in. And, and I think back on that, I didn't think much of it at the time, right? But I think back and I'm like, whoa, like I bet we have multiple different translations of Bibles just sitting in a room like this, uh, you know, that uh, our, our goal is to certainly understand what God intended to communicate to us in a Bible translation, right? Uh, so that's, that's our objective, uh, but uh, we can raise those types of issues to be so significant that they begin to cloud a lot of other things, uh, and then uh, even disunity and those kind of things can ensue. Um, so where did this whole idea of connecting kind of the medical theo uh, uh, triage world and the theological triage world come from? Well, Dr. Albert Moeller, um, president of Southern Seminary, is the first to my knowledge to coin the term theological triage in an article they wrote in July of 2005 titled A Call for Theological Triage. You can look it up. I'm going to post it. Uh, on the uh, on the app so that you guys can have access to it. It's just about two and a half page uh, article. And in this article, he calls for this theological triage in order to prioritize Christian doctrine and the urgency of defending truth in our present culture. That was in 2005. How much more, almost 20 years later, do we need this kind of dynamic? Because I remember 2005, it was two years before I went to seminary, and to look at the world then compared to how it looks now and the polarization and dynamics that are happening in the world and in the church are drastically different um, and not in a good way. Uh, the polarization is becoming more and more. So this article Mueller wrote, um, he received substantial attention with it. It was a most helpful way to think about the priority and significance of different theological matters. And this has become the subject of much discussion on podcasts and other dialogue within evangelicalism over the past couple of decades. So much so that it had been suggested that this two and a half page article would be developed into a book form and kind of really uh, developed. So as a result, some of uh, uh, result of some personal study and circumstances, 
Gavin Ortland published his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, back in 2020, so about three years ago. And as you pull these resources together, along with the other materials that have been developed on this topic, one can begin to see the significant benefit of learning to evaluate theological matters in this way. It really is a helpful tool to begin kind of understanding, okay, what, what category would I put this discussion in? First tier, second tier, third tier, or even more broadly than that. And so there is an old saying, maybe you've heard it, there is no doctrine a fundamentalist wouldn't fight over and no doctrine a liberal will fight over. Now, while this is probably not exactly fair to either fundamentalists, not sure, as I grew up in this tradition, as I was mentioning, or to liberals, it begins to illustrate some dangers that exist within theological study. And so I think that's your second point there on your outline, is the kind of the dangers of failing to employ theological triage or something similar. It doesn't have to be called theological. That's just a helpful idea uh, that, that's helpful. But to the way of thinking, if you fail to think this way, it does have a couple of dangers that, that I think we need to be uh, mindful of. Um, and at the risk of oversimplification, I want to consider just two dangers that exist within theological discourse without thinking about it in the way that I'm going to be suggesting over these next few weeks here. Uh, number one is doctrinal sectarianism, okay? So there are uh, a lot of dynamics that can begin to take place if we just get so staunch and leave everything in the same category and same significance. Uh, that will begin to make you uh, so isolated that you really are unwilling to engage with anybody outside of your little camp. Uh, that is not a healthy place to be. Uh, theologically, uh, I would argue that it's not a good place to be practically for Christian living. Uh, that it's just, and, and I could, and I probably will talk about that uh, in future weeks a little bit, uh, the kind of the practical implications uh, that this can have uh, on us. Uh, but division within the body of Christ, kind of as a thought there under doctrinal sectarianism, uh, this is the idea of an overly divisive approach to theological differences. It can lead to an unnecessary fragmentation within the Christian community. Instead of fostering unity, it may result in the creation of isolated factions, each claiming doctrinal superiority kind of over each other. It's a really unhealthy thing. I've seen it in a lot of different uh, places, and it's just not a healthy place to be. Uh, but also there's a concern there of diminished gospel witness. You know, excessive emphasis on non-essential doctrine and the differences that you may have distinct from the primary message of the gospel can cause an issue of the gospel being lost in the midst of that. When Christians are known more for their internal divisions than for their love and unity, it can hinder the effectiveness of their witness to the world. And so we need to be thoughtful about that. We need to be careful that uh, even how we might disagree with one another or disagree with another denomination or whatever it may be, 
that the world doesn't begin to look at that and be like, geez, like, yeah, I would want nothing to do with that. That's, that's so off-putting and ugly and just, I don't, I don't care to be anything. No, again, even as we've heard recently in John, by this they will know that you are my disciples by your theological precision? No. By your disagreements theologically? No. <laughs> I, I hope not. It's for their love for one another. That's what should be marking even our theological differences is that I should be able to sit down across the table from somebody, completely disagree with them, but be able to shake hands, love each other as brothers in Christ, assuming that they are not in that first tier issue, right? Those, those ones we'll talk about. Um, but uh, really, very little of it comes down to those. And those are pretty clear when they do happen. Uh, third, maybe under uh, this sectarianism, is uh, spiritual pride and judgmentalism. Got to be careful. Doctrinal sectarianism can lead to an attitude of spiritual pride where individuals or even groups can believe their interpretation of a certain doctrine is the only correct one, right? Uh, we don't want to be so dogmatic on every theological matter that we think we've got it cornered, we've, we know, we've got it, nobody else has it quite like we have it. That's just not a good place to be as Christians. This may foster a judgmental spirit towards fellow believers who hold different views on various different issues. Again, at this point, I just want to remind you, I'm not calling for what we'll talk about next uh, as a danger. I'm not calling for you just not to care about doctrine. That's not what we are all about at New Community Church. Uh, that's not at all what I would ever suggest. Uh, but an, an equal, but on the flip side of it, danger is what we might call doctrinal minimalism. There's an erosion of essential truth there. Doctrinal minimalism or downplaying the significance of certain theological, uh, theological truths can lead to the erosion of essential doctrines. Why? Because, well, nothing really matters, right? And when foundational beliefs are compromised or neglected, it may result in a diluted understanding of the faith. And so we don't want to go there either. Uh, it can lead also to doctrinal indifference. Minimalism can foster an attitude of doctrinal indifference where believers become apathetic towards the careful study and understanding of important theological principles. We don't want to be here either. This can leave individuals susceptible to theological error and even manipulation. We don't want that. We need to be discerning and we need to understand what the scriptures teach. If God's given it, we should be in pursuit of it. Uh, but also, and maybe lastly here under uh, doctrinal minimalism, <laughs> easy for me to say, right? Um, is loss of doctrinal depth. Loss of doctrinal depth. A minimalist approach can result in a shallow understanding of the rich theological heritage of Christianity and doctrines that have historically been considered central to the faith may be kind of marginalized or leading to a loss of depth and richness in the Christian understanding of God 
of salvation and of the Christian life itself. We also don't want to be in that place, right? We, we have a lot uh, to seek to understand. And so these two things are dangers kind of on polar extremes. And most of us, it's kind of a sliding scale, right? We may kind of tend towards one side or the other. And what we want to strive for in theological triage is this balanced approach in love. Speak the truth in love, as Paul says in Ephesians. And so the need for balance is really important. And the concept of theological triage is to encourage this kind of a balanced approach. And you know it's easy to lose your balance when you're standing on one foot, right? We do this exercise, Frank and I do it at the gym. It's kind of the stork hold thing, right? Where you do this, but you're on a, a foam pad and I can only do it for like, I think most of the time we're trying to do it for like a minute, right? And most of the time after, you know, I don't know, 45, 50 seconds, I'm like, yeah, going all over the place. And uh, just, it's hard to do that. But I could stand on that same pad with both feet for a long, long time, I think. And it's in careful balance that we can bring stability to our lives and the lives of others that we interact and engage with. The same is true for our theological life. We need careful balance, both feet on the ground. Essential doctrines should be upheld and defended while allowing for a degree of flexibility on non-essential matters. And striking this balance can foster unity within the body of Christ without compromising the core tenets of the faith. And it recognizes the importance of theological discernment without succumbing to either extremes of excessive division or doctrinal indifference. We don't want to go on either one of those. We want to understand what God's given to us in his word to know, but to do that in a loving, gracious way to those that we interact with. Now, um, let me just open it a little bit, because I know I just threw a lot at you. Uh, I, what I want to do to kind of uh, end with today uh, is to kind of give you an example of where I actually see this happening in the scriptures by the same person. Uh, but before I do that, because I don't want to just launch into that, uh, any thoughts or questions so far? Uh, this is probably a pretty new kind of concept, uh, maybe something that uh, is, is relatively unfamiliar to you that, you know, maybe, maybe the, the pistons are, are, uh, are really charged now and you're thinking about all kinds of things and how, what this kind of, what I may say is, yeah, we'll get to that, but I'd just like to hear a little bit from you on how this strikes you, what your thoughts are, um, as you think about theological triage, anything. Yeah, Lynn. Two things. Okay. One, um, I came from a different church before I came here, and so I felt very arrogant about some of the beliefs that I held to. Okay. Um, and so I think that is one of the products yeah. of holding on to issues that are not first level. Yeah. Yeah. What happened is um, when Doug teaches the newcomer class, yeah. he goes through this list yep. of um, you know, first issues, second issues, because you have a lot of people coming from different backgrounds.
love to know yes. what we find to be important and worth debating versus, well, we have blue chairs and we really like red. Right, you know, right. We like the orchestra or yeah. know, we don't want a, a drummer. Yeah, very yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Dad. As you know, our family did a lot of adjusting through the years. Yeah. From one right. system to another. Mm -hmm. so I imagine others in here also have. Yeah. We never lost the faith. Right. We always felt, you know, secure in our belief in yeah. Jesus Christ as Savior. But we came to a more comfortable place of where we think that we're in the most solid yeah 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 and I think the reason for that uh, just as I have a conversation with my dad here <laughs> uh, uh, is that those churches uh, that we grew up in had the core right they had that first tier right uh, now sometimes they would throw other things I think and mix in other things that had the danger of confusing them uh, but but the core was right. Uh, the, that primary essential doctrines they they had the gospel right. It was I never heard heresy, you know, in in those churches growing up. Uh, I think it just got kind of mingled and mismatched with you know other things that that created some uh, you know potential confusion for for some people. Uh, yeah, Zeph. So okay, now I'm going to try and find the words here for all of this. Um, so when it comes to like other churches that they hold certain things like speaking in tongues, right? uh -huh. maybe churches that are super charismatic, stuff yeah. like that. Sure. Um, I, I don't know. Is this kind of like where you like? Would you say like the people in that church are are confused or like they're lost or like do they know the Lord or like? And yeah. like maybe like they're like that core of like they know that Jesus died, they know that he, he rose from the grave, they know yeah. that he's like the Lord and mm -hmm. Savior. So they've got that down. But like everything else, like in their hyperfixation on these other things. Do you see what I'm saying? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, most of those cases, it depends how extreme it is, and ultimately it depends on what they're doing with the gospel itself. Uh, whether they can whether they're teaching uh, the the fundamentals of the gospel itself, which we will get to next week, and and as we talk about that first tier uh, kind of stuff, we'll we'll talk about uh, that. But uh, a lot of these uh, other, you know, it, you use the illustration of uh, you know charismatic. Uh, the, most of those people, I believe, is cer certainly those that are uh, thoughtful. Uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, What's the word you just used? Uh, charismatics, thoughtful charismatics. There's there's those that are uh, thoughtful in their uh, understanding of those things. Uh, so uh, let me just throw out a couple of names, uh, just just as an example to uh, use. Uh, a guy like John Piper would be uh, open to those gifts, but very cautious and very intellectually engaged with the scriptures on those issues. I have no question in my mind, my mind whatsoever, whether John Piper's a really solid dude. Uh, I mean, I, I, read, I have a whole shelf full of his books. I, he's great. Yeah. Uh, but there's some of that world that gets into crazy right. that there, it's just all about emotionalism right. and it, they don't have the gospel. Uh, those, 
so so you kind of have to um, you have to think through it at those levels of do they have the central uh, core of the gospel and those essential truths intact uh, and then you can start working through some of those other areas where we can have thoughtful uh, engagement and discussion over them and disagree and walk away uh, but yeah not necessarily and th that's where this is going to be helpful is sometimes in really solid theological environments in even like new community uh, we can kind of begin to oh like uh, we just put a really broad brush stroke across uh, a lot of uh, different uh, beliefs like that and just be like oh that's heresy that's what I'm trying to be careful of. We don't want to do that. Uh, we want to uh, treat people as individuals uh, and not as systems of thought uh, and engage them at a level of, hey, what is your understanding? Where do you get that from? Uh, and so we'll talk about more of that. I don't know if that helps with no, that, your, yeah. your question, but uh, Tony, you still have, you sure? We can take it. Well, I, I Okay. So it seemed like the goal of this class was more interpersonal communication in regards to different theological topics rather than, say, for example, how do you select a church and what are the list of priorities you're looking for in selecting that church? I think, and my personal belief would be, hey, yeah. you to find a church that you agree with everything top down. Sometimes it's not possible. Sure, yes. But, but that would be the idea, and this class is more focusing on those interpersonal I would say it's both. I, I'm probably going to have the accent on the interpersonal relationship side because I think that's where it most practically often comes into play, whether it's inside the church or with family members outside of the church or friends that are in other church denominations or whatever that may be. Um, I think that's where it often kind of comes to, uh, you know, uh, practice. Uh, but if you're looking for a new church, that's very practical, right? Well, I'm <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm thankful to hear that. Uh, <laughs> but if someone were to be looking for uh, a new church, I think that this would actually be beneficial and helpful for them uh, because uh, you could, if, if let's say the Lord relocated you for whatever reason, and you needed to go, and there wasn't another, well, likely, there's not going to be another new community duplicate. That's not because new community is perfect. It's just to say that we are a very, just like an individual, every church has its own flavor, culture, and everything that makes up that church. You're not going to find an exact opposite uh, or exact duplicate. Uh, and you may be tempted when you're relocating to be like, ah, this church just isn't this church just isn't right. right. Well, actually, it may be perfect right, but it's just not what you thought here. And so using a grid like this could help you. Okay, the, the critical pieces are there. Yeah, there might be a little difference here or there, but I can live with that. And these are brothers and sisters in Christ that I can learn to engage with in body life, just as I did at New Community at, at one point in my life. Um, yeah, so I think both, but probably the accent more on the relational side. Virginia, you have some? I was going to make a joke. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I was going to say, since you brought up Piper, what tier would you put drinking coffee in church on? <laughs> Definitely that fourth tier, yeah. <laughs> I, 
I don't know if you guys uh, saw that uh, several weeks ago, what you're talking about. I think we were actually at your house, wasn't it? Like the day that it came out and I was talking about. Uh, but uh, Piper had uh, tweeted uh, that week on uh, basically saying that uh, coffee in church is, uh, you know, sacrilegious, basically. And uh, that, you know, w how did we get to this point of, I guess, again, I already said it, but I love John Piper. Uh, I have a deep respect for him, but I was just like, whoa, like, and, and he got a lot of flack from it. Uh, you know, not from me, but from uh, the broader evangelical world, uh, which, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely one of those fourth tier, but, but that's, I think, a great example, right, of where such a trusted, respected guy like that can be like, whoa, you just like took like a fourth tier level and like started like putting it way up somewhere. Uh, I'm not gonna even try to pretend where I would say he was trying to put that, but it was somewhere up uh, up there. And uh, yeah, just not uh, particularly helpful, uh, I don't think, in that. Uh, and he, he even quoted a passage out of Hebrews 4, I think, if I remember right, uh, to try to justify his perspective on that, so yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch that, but that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we got another comment here. Yeah. I would just say that the doctoral statement of the church is really important to look at. Yeah. Yep. And uh, one of the things that you know, came to us after being there a couple of years was to really look and study their doctrinal statement. And I told the lame, I said, you know, I've really looked at this. There, there's no statement about the sanctity of life. And so I did confront the pastors and threw them a couple of dollars. And they said, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll look into that. We'll think about that. Sure. But then uh, we looked at the doctrinal statement for our church here, and what a what a phenomenal sanctity of life statement it is. Mm. I actually sent it to them. Mm. I said, how about we adopt this? Uh -huh. and, uh, that's a little, you know, we have, that's, that's a tough one. We just, we have to think about it. Yeah. Too, too restrictive, too strict, and so I said, well, Elaine, we're just going to have to move on. So, mm. I mean, the doctrinal statement is really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, good, yeah. Oh, over here. Um, we'll let ladies go first. How about that? We're going to side with lightness over here. Um, I'm just thinking through things that we've dealt with. The coffee thing's funny. Are you going to help us in this class take, because what tends to happen, I feel like, in conversations is you go straight to those third, fourth tier discussions. Mm -hmm. And But, and we and Dave were over here whispering, because I do feel like a lot of times these tiers blend into each other. So, mm -hmm. okay. Having coffee at church is not sinful, but if somebody's looking for a church based off if they have coffee, <laughs> and then why are you looking for a church based off coffee? You know, do you think the church is about comfortability? Do you think Jesus is about comfortability? Now we're on what's it called? The church that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Christmas decorations. Um, just like Joel Osteen's church, what's that called? Like that kind of church. Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. 
So I feel like a lot of times you can end up taking a fourth, third tier issue and bleed it into a first tier, but are you okay. gonna help us figure out how to do that? Yes, okay. yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, it, it can certainly uh, happen, and I think it should be, again, gracious opportunities within those kind of discussions to be able to do that mm -hmm. and say, well, this really isn't the issue. Um, you know, what do you think about, you know, the gospel? You know, and, you know, what is the gospel? Define it, you know, and, you know, if they're struggling there, you know, defining, well, then you, you, you've just pretty quickly been able to assess where that individual is at and where you can engage in a way that will be fruitful and helpful for their life. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, and, and discipleship, that you'll, you'll begin to uh, show that individual uh, what's truly important uh, and yeah, we can or we cannot have coffee. That that's kind of a just preferential matter. That uh, and you know here at New Community, that's that's an opportunity to to serve our body uh, in that in that way um, as as a way to um, yeah be be helpful to them. Uh, but it's not we don't do it out of an objective to uh, we want to have like. You know, and, and I've heard it, right? Uh, we've heard uh, many times, Justin, where'd Justin go? He's over there. Uh, well, and Alana then, uh, is uh, we'll, we'll hear, oh, well, we should have this and we should have this. Well, we're not seeking to be consumeristic. We're not seeking to do whatever we can to win over the, you know, the people to, you know, oh, they have the best coffee at New Community. No, that's not the goal. The goal is, hey, do we, can we pursue, you know, a coffee ministry with excellence to serve our family, our church family? Uh, if so, then yeah, let's do it. Um, so yeah, and then I know that's just an example, but yeah, we can talk about uh, a number of other areas where uh, that, that third or fourth level may uh, bring us up to a second or third, second or first level uh, issue. So, yeah, Ethan. Yeah, I, uh, just real quick, I apologize if I'm kind of moving the goalposts. Okay, that's bit, okay. But uh, lately, I have been encountering this issue of theological triage more uh, in the context of evangelism mm -hmm. rather than like within the church between believers. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, the majority of uh, like spiritual conversations that I have with people don't start with the first tier yeah. issue. Yeah. Right? It starts down here sure. with the like, oh, did you see that article about the Speaker of the House this week? Right. Or like whatever's going on over in Israel and yeah. all those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's it's like a, it's tough to get past that. It's like someone, to use your triage analogy, like they get wheeled into the ER and they're bleeding out from a stab wound and they like insist that you treat their skin knee first. Right. 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 So it's, it's just really difficult to get them to see like you're like you're going to die from this other thing and this doesn't matter. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's that's more where I've grappled with. That. I don't know yeah. if you had plans to address that. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there, yeah. Probably towards the end, uh, the last week of the class, as it relates to how do we put all of this into practice? Like, how, what, what do we do with this, whether it's internally or in an evangelistic encounter like that? So, yeah, good, good. All right, well, let me, uh, why don't we turn to uh, Romans 14. And I just want to show you um, something very quickly. Uh, Romans 14, and then uh, we'll go over to another one of Paul's epistles. But 
Uh, Romans 14 is a key passage in the New Testament that addresses issues of conscience, freedom, and unity within the early Christian community. And Paul's approach in this chapter illustrates a balanced perspective, emphasizing the need for unity among believers while recognizing differences in non-essential matters. And this aligns with the concept of this theological triage and the dangers associated with both doctrinal sectarianism and minimalism as we we're talking about. And uh, there's, there's some key things here uh, to look at. And uh, could somebody just read Romans 14, 1 through 5? Um, somebody want to read that for me? Yeah, right here. Romans 14, 1 through 5. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, great. Thank you. So here Paul acknowledges that believers may have different convictions on non-essential matters, right? Uh, such as dietary choices or the observance of certain holy days or religious days. Uh, there, He encourages mutual acceptance rather than passing judgment on what he calls disputable matters there, right? He, he wants us to understand that there's a lot of room in these areas, which again, in most contexts that I've ever seen and that I hear about, whereby there's conflicts and issues, it's typically in the areas of disputable matters. It's not in the core doctrinal issues. It's, it's these. And so I think that's, that begins to be instructive for us. Later, Paul emphasizes that the kingdom of God is not about food or drink, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you looked at Romans 14, 17, just a few verses later. And so this underscores the importance of prioritizing essential matters such as righteousness, peace, joy in Christ over non-essential disputable kinds of matters. Uh, and then he even begins, uh, you see there in verse 5, uh, really kind of beginning to develop this idea of individual convictions and responsibility, right? Believers are responsible for their individual uh, uh, convictions there before God. And Paul encourages each person to be fully convinced in their own mind. And so this recognizes the diversity of personal convictions within the body of Christ. We need to allow room for that, right, within the body of Christ. Um, but also, if we were to look at towards the end of the chapter there, uh, this idea of kind of avoiding stumbling blocks and emphasizing uh, the freedom in non-essential matters. Uh, so Paul also urges believers not to cause their brothers and sisters to stumble Right? So to acknowledge, to be a, aware of those types of areas in another person's life. And if a particular practice causes another believer to violate their conscience, it's better to abstain 
for the sake of love and unity, right? And so we can begin to, I mean, there, there could be so much said just about uh, all of that in Romans uh, 14. Uh, but Paul's approach here uh, begins to show us that, no, a, a man that is primarily responsible for, you know, a lot of the doctrine that we receive in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, had room in his life and ministry and understanding for personal convictions and preferences and a personal conscience of the individual, right? Uh, so, so clearly there's uh, this understanding here, uh, understanding kind of this uh, distinction between the essentials versus uh, the non-essentials. And Paul d distinguishes between these essential matters and just uh, those um, personal uh, convictions that, that a person might have. But interestingly, uh, Paul's approach in Romans 14, it, it provides a biblical example of navigating, you know, these differences with a balanced perspective while promoting unity in essentials and allowing for diversity in non-essentials. And this approach aligns with this whole concept of theological triage. But next, I want you to go over to the book of Galatians. How many of you ladies just studied Galatians in the women's Bible study? Uh, quite a Quite a few of you. Um, so while both Romans and Galatians were written by the Apostle Paul, addressing theological issues within the early Christian community, the tone and emphasis in Galatians is distinct from Romans. The contrast between these two letters can provide insight into the different facets of Paul's approach to theological matters and the balance that he sought to have. And so when you begin to look at the, the book of Galatians, you see a very different tone than what we just read in Romans 14. For example, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he writes this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That should be hugely emphasized here, right? This is the difference. Not that there is another one, another gospel that is, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's the key. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So in this passage, Paul expresses his astonishment that the Galatians are turning away from the true gospel of Christ. And he vehemently opposes the introduction of a different gospel and warns that anyone, even if it were himself or an angel from heaven, preaching a gospel contrary to what was originally taught by him, should be accursed. That's really strong language. Like, you know, I mean, it's like saying, you know, damn you today. Like, that's, it's strong terminology. And this understanding here is to, to understand that when you're touching that core essence of the doctrine of the gospel itself, 
you're in dangerous ground. And we do have to fight for that. We still do it with meekness and love towards others, but we must contend for the faith on first tier issues. These other issues, there's a lot of room. The same guy inspired by the Holy Spirit gave us a model for both. And that's what we're gonna to seek to do over these next few weeks here is try to start pulling these things apart and seeking to give you some examples, not exhaustively, right? Uh, but give you some examples, what would be first tier? What would be second tier? What's third, what's fourth? How do we understand these things and how do we engage with others, whether it's in new community, the broader evangelical world, or even evangelistic kinds of conversations? How do we do that in a way that's true to the scriptures, that's helpful uh, in that? Uh, for some of you, I think this will be, as it was for me, really, really helpful to, because now I kind of have this grid that I kind of, think through in, in terms of the, the types of issues and conversations I'm having, where does this fit? Does it really fit there? What does the scripture teach me about that? Does it fit there? Uh, can, I, can I defend that it fits there? Uh, because sometimes, right, we all kind of want to slip that coffee up into those other realms that they don't belong into. Even great.